Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. The off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. So, episode 92, it's Tuesday. It's like July 16th. It's the week after I just got back from Florida. Uh, apologies, of course, for the fact that we did not have an episode last week. Uh, we tried to make as much work as we could. Wi-Fi absolutely sucked at the hotel that we were at down in Fort Walton. And so we were just trying to figure it out, see if we could do an audio-only kind of thing. It, it just, for everything that was going on, it was family vacation. It was just too much to worry about. And we knew that we would be able to come on and that at least a couple people would make fun of us for not doing a show and one of those people is joining us on this fine evening tonight, and we're going to talk to him in a little bit. Uh, but what what have you tuned in for? So seat time, pretty much uh, the online, what is it, uh, we'll call it off-road online for online enthusiasts. That really sucks. Let's come up with something better, Stephen. Um, online entertainment for the off-road enthusiasts? I don't know. That's that's better, but still shitty. But we can keep working on that and come up with some. So seat time, a pint full of awesome. This is pretty much a show where we sit down. Typically, we have a couple uh, adult beverages and talk about uh, all the racing that's gone on in the off-road world, talk to as many riders, as fan fanatics as we can get on, um, and tonight we're going to have uh, some people talking about actually some new products that they have coming out. Uh, so interesting, we're kind of talking uh, to a different, a whole plethora of people out there in the moto world, and um, it's just a good time. We like to do it every Tuesday evening. We go live at 8 p.m. Central Time, as we like to say, Texas Time. Uh, if any of you are out there watching live, we really appreciate it. If you're not, you know, what the hell? I mean, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Texas time. Be on the internet. Seattime.co slash live. That's where you can find us. Of course, if you're not and you have to catch us on Stitcher, you can search for us on Stitcher. iTunes, of course, podcast there. And YouTube, you can find everything there. It just depends on how you want to go about it. Um, and Verb Off-Road, of course, uh, verboffroad.com. They do a fantastic job of helping us out. Um, and getting all the information out there, so please go check them out. Uh, some of our small sponsors that do a ton of great stuff for us is Fly Racing and uh, Ride PG Power Sport Graphics over in North Carolina. Can't thank those guys enough. So please go check out FlyRacing.com to see their new 2014 gear. They just released it uh, about two weeks ago. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Zach and I are going to be doing. Oh, I gave his name away. Oh my gosh, Stephen, I totally screwed that up. <laughs> so our guest. Zach Huberty and I are going to be talking about uh, their their new gear that they released two weeks ago, uh, a little bit on this show, along with anything else. He has free reign tonight, so we're going to see where this goes. Um, and, of course, Powersport Graphics, you can go to RidePG.com and save yourself 10% by using the discount code SEATTIME, S-E-A-T-T-I-M-E. Um, lots of great stuff going on. We really, really appreciate that. So, uh, I've already given it away. Our guest is Mr. Zach Huberty. He's from the Northeast. He's a college student that races dirt bikes and kicks ass up in Enduros and anything else he can get his hands on. I'm pretty sure if the ladies knew what would hit him, he'd be the guy that hit him. Not in the physical sense, of course, but just in the holy shit, that guy's sexy. Um, so, Mr. Zach, how is your evening going, kind sir? Uh, it's going pretty well. It's just uh, extremely hot up here. We've got a heat wave for the past couple of days in the upper 90s and uh oh my god the upper <laughs> 90s that sounds horrible are you kidding me yeah i mean tomorrow's supposed with the heat index supposed to be over 100 and that doesn't end until i think saturday uh, so, uh just man. staying in the air conditioning and you know going out 
later at night to get any yard work done. Yeah, no, it's it's been pretty crazy here. As uh, we were saying, we were in Florida last week down at the beach. Temperatures were awesome while we were down there. We had a little bit of extra rain, but uh, now that we're back in Texas and kind of getting settled in, uh, lots of rain. Like I really think we we drove to Florida and had rain pretty much like the last eight hours of our drive. Had rain the first day we were there. We had rain the last day we were there, and we brought it with us pretty much the whole way through in Baton Rouge and back through Texas, and it's still been here. I, I think we did something wrong, and the rain gods are pissed off at us. I don't I know because, I mean, the past two weeks up here, I think it's rained almost every day, so uh, it I think is, that's what everyone's getting. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, I, and typically for us, our summers are fairly dry down in Texas, uh, but our springs kind of seem to be wet, if you will, but we didn't really have a wet spring this year, so I'm wondering if things just kind of are in a, you know, maybe they're two months behind. Somebody woke up a little late. Whoever that is is the person, I guess, that hits the on button for the the world sprinkler system. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have been doing a lot of racing, which I'm thankful to see. Obviously, I'm still kind of recouping from my shoulder surgery, finally able to start doing a little bit of strengthening uh, as pretty much means going into rehab and they're like do this move oh no okay we'll add one pound you know it sucks um but uh you've been racing you've been riding and you've been doing a lot of cool stuff up there so tell us about uh the race you just did this past weekend uh yeah this past weekend um the race it was an enduro it's up near the new york and pennsylvania border um and a bunch of guys came from up in the northeast from you know new hampshire new york and then we had the guys down from new jersey and pa and uh the surprise of the weekend was actually that brock hepler showed up and if other people don't know he back in 2008 and even before that he used to race pro motocross and pro supercross yeah he was like a big long time yamaha rider wasn't he like he was kind of supposed to like be there they're like their late 2000s boy yeah, I think he rode for, like, Suzuki before 2008, and then he went to, I think it was at the time, Yamaha of Troy. Um, I, I believe. I was looking it up today. Um, but he was doing really well, but then he had this really big accident, and he, had, I guess he was knocked out for about seven minutes. Jeez, and that's a long time to be knocked out. <laughs> yeah, and coming back from it, he said he just has never been the same... Um, he frequently just feels sluggish and fuzzy, and I guess that kind of ended his career after a couple more crashes and, you know, feeling even worse symptoms. Um, so I guess the doctors had told him, you know, the best thing for you to do is stop or you're going to be, like, forever, you know, changed. You're not going to return to being normal or yeah. the way he used to be. Right. Um which is kind of surprising because you would think off-road is a lot more dangerous as far as, you know, being able to hit your head on something, whether it's a tree, a rock, or, you know, some of the, the t- tunnels that we go through. So um, I, I was really shocked to see him this weekend. Well, um, I, I don't disagree. Um, I've actually hit my head a couple times, gotten some pretty nasty concussions in off-road. But I think this, <clears throat> I think maybe that it's just, one, maybe been so long that he's maybe kind of like he's probably never really stopped riding but he kind of stopped going at the, the crazy speeds that those guys go in motocross and stuff and uh you know off-road he's probably not thinking that he's you know gonna hit a rock and totally like wash out his front tire and smash his face into the ground um, <laughs> i would hope 
Because if he's looking yeah. for that, if much cheaper and easier ways to you know to just take yourself out. But uh, that was really cool. How did he do? Because I know he won. He did a previous enduro as well, uh, the last national enduro, didn't he? Or um, from what I heard, another northeast enduro at least. From what I heard, he went out to Ohio like at the beginning of this year and did an enduro, and then he showed up at the Foggy Mountain National Enduro. I guess that was three weeks ago, and he got 17th overall, which is, you know, pretty darn good for, you know, the circumstances. And then this weekend he came out, and the guys at the National Enduro who were in, like, the 9 through 12 range, he beat them by four minutes this weekend. Goodness. Yeah, so he really put the hammer down. But this this track was a lot more, like, motocross style. It's a lot more open and not as technical as the National Enduro that we were at. Um, so I think it suited his motocross style a lot better. Yeah. Huh. And uh, how, did, how did you say you did at this Enduro? Um, I got sixth overall. So. Sixth overall. That's, <laughs> you know, psh, psh, whatever. That's awesome, dude. And, and did you win the, I think it's the A200 class that you're in? Yeah, I won that. And then they have a, I don't know how they do it down there, but they do an overall A award, which is, um, pretty much everybody except the double A and like I guess the pro class is what you guys would consider it. Right. So I won that as well, which is surprising on a 200. Not a lot of people, you know, would think that a 200 would be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, we, it's funny. We had, what was it, when KTM came out with their 144? Or it, actually, yeah, it was before it was the one, before they called it the 150. And it was just the 144 because it's like a 143 point whatever the CCs are. We had a local AA pro, Don Hogan. He actually overalled a couple races on that machine. Um, and he did it just to prove the fact that he was like, I love, you know, it's just like kind of that going back to the 125 days. Like he knew it wasn't something he wanted to do consistently. But yeah. uh, he just, he could he could ring that thing out and he could carry speed on it really, really well. So in a lot of those tight technical races, now when we went out west to like super west Texas, there's no way you'd want to be on that motorcycle. Um but yeah, I was so it, it's surprising that in some of those places, some of those guys can carry like yourself on a 200 can carry the kind of speed that you are, um, and all that crazy, uh, that crazy terrain. So is it super technical up there? How was the race? How was the terrain? Um, I would say it's more like wide open, but um, it had rained like the week before, and they have a lot of roots up there. So, um, some of the sections it got pretty slick with the. You know, the roots will be like the size of your arm and you're trying to go along and all of a sudden, you know, you lose traction and you end up crashing into a tree or something. Right. <laughs> um, and then that. there they have just a little bit of rock, but it's mostly like a loose shale um, and then just tight woods. So nothing, nothing terrible. Nothing terrible. Sounds, <laughs> sounds horrible. Sounds horribly awesome. Well, um, I know we have uh, another National Enduro coming up this this coming up weekend. Are you getting ready to, or in the future, are you getting ready to head to that, or are you not going to be able to make it? Yeah, that's in two weeks. It's um, two weeks out yeah. in, I guess it's Northwestern PA, which is what it's considered. Um, and that's the Rattlesnake Enduro. Yeah, uh, it's Cross Fork, right? Yeah, that's okay. probably my, my favorite race of the year. Um, that back a couple years ago, they used to have about a five, six-mile grass track with about four mile woods on the first test um but now they hold some other they hold a rattlesnake festival there an actual like rattlesnake wrangling oh and... my god <laughs> yeah wow 
and because of that, they had to cut down on the grass track. So now it's only maybe two miles at most. So, do you know much about this rattlesnake wrangling situation? But I mean, did they literally take away like land that we could use because they're growing rattlesnakes? Like they're harvesting them for this wrangling, or like when this wrangling happens, they just go dump a bunch of rattlesnakes out there and people pick them up? No, it's like a festival. It's I'm pretty sure it's just like natural what's around. I mean. Other riders up there when we've raced have seen rattlesnakes out on the trail. So there must be a shit ton of them up there. Like, yeah, I mean, that. I guess that's the point of the festival is to see how many you can find. Or... Yeah, you don't go wrangle with the, if you're thinking there's five. You go wrangle if you're thinking there's 500, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that that's kind of the idea? <laughs> All yeah, right, so, I don't know. Yeah, tell me about the terrain up there. You say it's one of your favorite races. You really, really enjoy it. We talked to Bolton about two weeks ago, and he gave us a good estimation of what he thought it was going to be like from kind of being in the areas before. But uh, tell us about the terrain up there so we can kind of know what to expect for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like perfect loamy dirt. They have a lot of uh, fern up there. And with the fern, it keeps a lot of moisture in the dirt. So, I mean, it's like perfect, you know, brownie mix type terrain. Nice. Um, and then there, it can get very rocky, but most of the area is kind of like a gravel on the rock. Um, so the trials tire works very well. And then... In the last section of the day that we did last year, it was all pine forest. And in there, it's just like, it's almost like riding in New Jersey. It's kind of whoops and sandy and real loamy. Nice. So you get a good varied bit of terrain. You're not kind of like riding the same same brownie mix all over day, even though that'd be fun. But you're kind of getting to change it up a little. Yeah, and it's interesting because if you watch the the pro riders, they're constantly changing tires, really shocks, you know, different settings, because throughout the day the trail is changing so much. Huh? Yeah, I've seen Grant Baylor changing tires a lot at the National Enduros recently uh, in sections. He looks like he's been trying out the trials tires in the rear and stuff like that. Have you been doing that for a while? Do you find that that is a, a tire that works well in in most conditions? Um, I just started using it last year, but this year I've, you know, been using it probably half the races and I really haven't found a place that it's bad other than if it's like a one line rut with no hard bottom to it. If there's a hard bottom, it's perfect. Um, but if it's real deep and real loose and slimy, it doesn't hook up well. Right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it's just not, yeah, it doesn't, it's not made to throw mud because of the fact that the knobbies are so close together and they're so malleable. Um, you know, you need something with a, a little bit more space between everything. So when it, that spins up, it could toss off the mud. Uh, like, you know, just right over my shoulder like that, just throw it wherever it goes. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I want to try it uh, just because everybody talks about it. They've done it in the, in the magazines, and they've said a lot of the same things that you are. And so you can kind of go, okay, cool, I get it. But until you really get to try it on your own and, and, and have it in a lot of those different situations, I don't think you can kind of go, oh, that's something I want to do all the time or something. Oh, that's dumb. Why would I want to ever do that again? Um, yeah, I mean, the nice part about it is that a trials tire will last you a whole season on one trial. So tire. even it's so soft, you still actually do get a lot of a lot of use out of it. Oh yeah, I mean, all right. Where I may change, you know, I may get three knobbies for every one trials tire that I use. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I love it. So 
Um, one of the other things I noticed when we were uh, when you and I were chatting back and forth was that you were excited about the new 2014 gas gases that had been released. Um, now I, I want you to tell me a little bit about this. We've had some guys on the show that have talked about gas gases um, and related them to other motorcycles that don't stay together very well. But uh, you know, times change, things happen. So I want to know what you're thinking about all these uh, these, these new models being released. Yeah, I mean I. Personally, I have a theory on that whole, like, you know, when a bike has a problem, everybody can blame it on the manufacturer, but I think 95% of it, it comes down to who's working on the bike and who's doing all the maintenance. And, you know, a lot of these bikes, if you do everything fine, it should work and it should work at a high performance and it should be fine. But if you slip up on the maintenance and, you know, don't do the things that you're supposed to of course you're going to have problems so right i think you know for that five percent of time maybe it's possibly the manufacturer but most of the time you know it's the person working on the bike yeah Um, i i i look back to i remember when my dad was riding the white ktms um and having having a lot of problems with the kind of the i guess late 80s early 90s ktms i guess in that and they were still and he attributed that to two things. One, because that they were in Europe, their standards of production were very yep. different f- from the standards of production that a lot of people were used to from an Asian type of market, um, like a, you know from Japan. Um, and then as well, so their production quality is a lot different. Um, and then two, it's for whatever reason, the way that we get goods back and forth between you know, the Japanese uh, in a lot of the uh, Asian markets is much cheaper and it happens a lot more often. And it's much more expensive to come from Europe uh, over to to the States. And so parts are much more scarce for European style bikes. And then, of course, once you get the parts, they, for whatever reason, don't last as long or hold up as good as some of the, the you know, more stamped out Japanese parts that kind of come through um have you is there what do you think about any of that thought process i mean i've definitely heard that depending on who the different you know manufacturer of the bikes they have different quality standards and you know i mean i'm not sure offhand like to be exact but you know different manufacturer different bike companies out there are sourcing the same products from the same distributor right but it all depends on how much they're checking the clearances on each part. You know, if they're throwing out, you know, four bad out of every hundred versus other guy that's throwing out, you know, just taking a hundred and using it as is, you know, those four bad ones are going to show up eventually. Um, so, you know, it really depends on, you know, how, um, how, I guess deep they're looking into each product to see, you know, does this product, you know, fit the clearances and the specs that we need? And if it doesn't, then we need to get rid of it. Right. And yeah, obviously there's a whole other part to that conversation, just like in the quality control aspect, exactly what you're talking about, you know, and maybe that's another part too, where, you know, kind of like European tolerances in that uh, quality control process just don't seem to, for whatever reason, match up with some of the more, the more Asian markets. Um, I do know that it appears that KTM has it turned around. I haven't had literally the hardest part it took me to get uh, from KTM was the KTM onesie for my baby. After that, since I would say mm, 
seven, eight years ago, minimum, uh, parts have been very, very readily available. Um, you know, it, it was when like, like Husqvarna parts, you, you can have issues getting parts for those bikes from different uh, distributors in the States that come to the shops, you know, TM, gas, gas, betas, all that kinds of stuff. There's going to be weird issues where for some reason, sometimes some parts just don't make it. So it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I'm obviously this is not a industry that I live in. This is just for fun thinking about all this kinds of stuff. But you know, I mean, if people paid us, Zach, I'm sure we could figure it out for them, right? What do you think? Nothing. I don't think so either. Hey. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Um, but uh, Zach and I were going to also talk a little bit about some of the fly racing gear that had been uh, released two weeks ago so like we were talking about i went to florida and while i was in florida uh we got to kind of see redbud redbud happened and all the kind of racing that went on there at redbud uh it got a little interesting um but i have to say that in the fly racing aspect of things freaking uh trey canard and andrew short looked awesome in their new gear uh all the stuff that they have out there uh if you bring it up you can go to flyracing.com and you can check out all the new gear that they've released. So they've got the new Evolution, the new Light Hydrogen, uh, with the Kinetic, all their stuff out there. Dude, it's, it's super clean, super thought through. It looks fantastic. Uh, I think what I like the most, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Moto Gear Lines, uh, Light Hydrogen. Uh, no, it is the Evolution Clean. I love the, what is it? They call it the Blue High Viz because it's super bright. It's just super out there. I think it looks super crisp and super awesome. Evolution Vertigo is pretty crazy too, so you guys could check that out. Um, but yeah, so we've got with Shugel this weekend, and we're going to have uh, we're going to have them out there. Uh, we're going to have them out there. Fly Racing is going to have Andrew Short and Trey Kennard out in some of the new 2014 Fly Racing gear. I think it's going to look good. And uh, did, have you? Uh, it's not going to be out till August though, so I mean you can go to your your local local store and try to get it, but not until August first is going to be out there. Uh, Zach, what have you thought about some of the new fly gear that's uh, that's come out into the world? I mean, I think it's awesome. The they're bringing out that whole I guess it's like a lime green kind of like a highlighter yellow type color, and I mean that has to be one of my favorite colors, you know, on riding gear. And um, I'm currently eyeing up that matte black helmet with the the lime green on i think it's the high viz uh yeah the black high viz that's what i'm looking at right now yeah oh is that one that you're that you're looking at and you're like oh snap that's my boy yeah except that i know it's going to be a a popular product so you know every other guy in the line is going to have it so i may have to you know, switch it up with the white or something. <laughs> See, that's what I was just telling everybody. I think the blue high viz of the Evolution Clean is the one that really like you know gets me going. I'd probably even rock that red and purple in the light hydrogen. Like, I, some fun colors like that would be awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I really noticed that they kind of listened to their their riders. You know, even more for this line around because they got rid of a lot of the white in the clothing, and a lot of people had said you know for the off road market that you know, white isn't as popular because it gets stained so easy, and yeah. now they're going back to, you know, full, bold colors. Um, so, you know, I like that change that they've done. Totally agree. Totes agree, if you will, as all the cool kids are saying these days. Um, and what I think what's also neat is, you know, when everybody does this, um, but Fly Race and I feel does a pretty good job of making even some of the, you know, the entry-level gear still look pretty badass, their F-16 gear. 
Um, so you can go check all their stuff out at flyracing.com. Um, and you can also go ahead and pick it up at any of your local shops. They're totally going to have it out there. And it's totally going to be awesome. They've got great helmets and all kinds of fun stuff that you guys can wear. Of course, they have WPS, which is all their hard parts and all the stuff out there. Um, really making a big push. Um, as Zach mentioned, in the off-road market, uh, they've been making a really, really big push as well. Um, for whatever reason, Zach, I can't get in their catalog, though. Now, I don't need to be <laughs> on a motorcycle riding, but wouldn't you think that, like, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not the worst-looking guy out there. Come on, right? I mean, we could make this happen. Yeah, I mean, if, if they have a problem with the looks, they can just, you know, put you in one of the gear lines with the helmet, you know. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to be able to be like, that's totally me. And just, even if it's like a little sliver of clothing or whatever that I just kind of like, you know, maybe shows a little tattoo or something that I can be like, yep, that's my hairy mole. Here it is on my body. That's me in the magazine. I think that'd be really cool. I don't know why Dale hates me, but sad face. I don't know. I, I think with those kind of things, you're better off not asking and maybe then later on you'll get asked. I don't know. That's kind of my thought process on it, you know. They'll ask you before you, you know, offer it up to them. I don't know. I figure, too, maybe if I just hassle them enough one day, they'll either be like, no, it's never going to happen. Or maybe if we just put you on the really far back page, would you just shut up? Would you, would you please? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's one of those things where they just say, you know, <laughs> if, if you just stop, we'll put you in there somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, it, 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 we want to say that, Zach and I are extreme big fans of Fly Racing, but Fly Racing is a sponsor of the show. They're the title sponsor of Seat Time. Not only do we think that I personally think that their gear is the best gear out there and is the most fun to wear because I like I think I look bitching in it. Like I just I just feel awesome and I feel bright and I feel like I'm having a good time in the fly gear. Um, I think it's stuff that everybody should go check out at flyracing.com. We thank them for their support of Seat Time. Um, and it's been a great partnership and we're looking forward to many more months and we're looking forward to hanging out with, uh, our marketing guy, Dale Spangler in at the big sky cross country race coming up, uh, you know, in the next month, which is going to be the amateur off-road championships. I hope you guys are planning on being there. I think you should be. Um, obviously we're having a little bit of technical difficulties with, uh, Zach's feed, um, on, his his end, I would love to say, because everything looks fantastic on ours. Um, a, the OMAs this past weekend, uh, Camden, Tennessee. Uh, it was round five of the OMAs, and it looks like a Russell Bobbitt got another one of his wins on his Husaberg. Uh, Nick Farringer in second, Jordan Ashburn in third, and Russell Bobbitt in fourth. But I think fourth was also last. Um, the way that he put it, it sounds like uh, there was not a big, ver- a, a very large turnout. They did not have Paul Wibley. Paul Wibley is out. He had a groin surgery or some muscles in his groin were surgically altered. Um, I don't know if that is uh, a way to hide the fact that he had a penis enlargement surgery. Maybe he had a, a you know, a, a penis shrinking surgery. I don't know. What do you, Steven, do you think that that's possible? Yeah. So, have you heard uh, about Paul Wibley's penis enlargement surgery? Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> no, you did not just come in on a conversation with my wife. Once again, too far. But... Too far. No. Well, we we do know he did have some uh, muscle muscle surgery uh, in his groin worked on, um, and it's just it's just a great leeway into, you know, some form of manipulation of your manhood. I just. You gotta go there. I just think it's worth yeah. it. 
So he, of course, is not going to not be riding for a while. The, they do say that, or Jen Kenyon thinks he's going to be back for Unadilla. Um, I don't know. I would imagine that coming back from groin surgery and uh, or whatever muscular thing he had altered, uh, worked on, is going to be tough. A lot of I mean, a lot of standing up. It can't be any. Out. It can't be any worse than before. So, I mean, I, I don't know what, what kind of time that. You know that kind of surgery, or how bad it was. You know, takes to heal from. Oh well, maybe we'll have to get him on the show and talk to him about his uh, his uh, enlargement. I think that his prosthetic, his uh, his prosth- his addition of a prosthetic. I think that's the way to go with it. Uh, so the OMA apparently was super super dusty, um, and then all of a sudden, like the last two laps, uh, this, the rain came down, and because of the fact that it was so dusty and all the silty sand, that it just turned into super 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 slick. Uh, just crazy, crazy mud race. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Russell Bobbitt said that him and Nick Ferringer were going at it the whole time. Uh, lots and lots of good racing, and Jordan Ashburn was up there. Uh, we didn't hear too much about Caleb Russell. He did put uh, in my post on the OMA page, he's like, I got last, which was fourth. Or So he either didn't do that well or everybody else kicked his ass. Hey, but still, I mean, getting fourth is better than not finishing, and you know, you still you don't lose many points in the championship either. That's very true, and definitely Caleb Russell right now with the consistency that he's been having in the GNCCs. I don't think that it was like, you know, he was like, ah, today I'm gonna slack off. You know, I don't feel like riding. It was like probably something went down. So we'll have to talk to him and get a little bit more information out of him. He's gonna be on. Uh, I think he was on Pit Pass tonight too, on Pit Pass Radio. In 30 minutes, he will be on Pit Pass Radio. Mm. Fantastic. Well, there you go. In case you hate seat time, go check out one of the other shows. Might as well. Um, so, Zach, what, anything else, man? It's 8.30. We're going to be talking to Adam Crefting in a little bit here. Uh, Steven's going to go ahead and check in on that and make sure we're all set up to go. Um, you know, you tell me. You want to stay on? You don't? You want to head out? That's fine. Um, but it, what's, your, what's your last bit of advice for, uh, for people out there in the – in the moto off-road awesomeness world um well i think i actually learned a good thing um i was watching the a video on brock hepler today about concussions and i don't know if you've seen the new 6d helmet but it's supposed oh, yeah. to have like a, a floating inner core in the helmet that's supposed to be better for people that have had head injuries or to prevent them yep um and his whole point was that he said even if you get baseline tested these days and even if there are, you know, precautionary measures in place, he said, be true to yourself because the only person that knows how they're feeling on race day is them. And, um, you know, I think it was a good point because if you are somebody that's been hurt, you know, when it comes to race day, listen to yourself. If you're not feeling good, don't race. If you're feeling sluggish after having a concussion, don't race. Don't, like, you know, put yourself in a bad position for the future, which, you know, is something maybe you know other riders have done out there. Yeah, that's very very solid point. Um, I like to call it if it's sketchy, if it feels sketchy, it's sketchy. Um, yep. And uh, it's very very true. Uh, I did. I have seen that video. Another one you're talking about. It was like at the 6D release party or kind of thing. They and he's not a sponsored rider. They just asked him. It's like, hey, would you come kind of talk to us about concussions? Because that's what we made this helmet for. And that's what we want to talk to people about. So that's, you know, it was it was a very good video. If you guys haven't seen that, you definitely need to go search for it. It was a good video. Um, so what do you think, Stephen? What's coming up next? 
He's ready. All right, we're gonna call him in. Or are you gonna drop off, Zach? Um, I'm fine listening if that's fine. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I love it. We're gonna keep him on for a little bit. So I'm gonna give a little bit of a preface here as we uh, kind of bring up Adam. So Adam Crefting from Creft Suspension. I was just reading, uh, a flipping through the new Dirt Bike magazine that I got in recently, um, and boom! All of a sudden, you know, at the pro- new product listing stuff. Uh, it was this transition valve from Kreft suspension. I'm like, hmm, okay, I don't, I've never heard of this. Let's check this out. Um, and I did, and it, it's, a, it's so the mid valve where a lot of dampening goes on is dampening that a lot of people have no control over because of the fact that they don't know how to take apart their closed cartridge forks. So what he has done is he's found a way to to manipulate and he, he has to modify your stock forks um, and, and with this, he puts in this transition valve. And this allows you, just like you would at the track, so you just kind of take the cap off and adjust with like a flat blade screwdriver your rebound from the bottom. He now has um, a like a socket wrench that you can put in the bottom and adjust that act, the, the compression or the way that that mid-valve, that, the mid-valve in your dampening is, I want to say plumbed because obviously it's a bunch of shims the oil goes through there fast it goes through there slow all that kinds of stuff like you know obviously once we get him on he's going to be able to talk to us about the specifics and and how it kind of how it kind of works specifically but i thought it was really really interesting zach um while we're still kind of getting that going have you you know how much suspension testing or you know fooling around the track and stuff like that have you had to do um, I've actually done quite a bit, and um, the main reason is I started doing social media for uh, a suspension guy up here in the Northeast called Works and Door Rider, and through doing that, um, I started getting my suspension done through that company. So I've had a lot of phone calls with them, you know, talking about suspension, been at the shop, and then I've actually started helping some of the younger riders that they support through their shop with explaining to them how to set up what settings to use and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm fairly familiar with it, but as far as like the internals and taking it apart, I have no clue how to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I used to I used to kind of work on on uh, you know mountain bike suspension back in the day when I was still kind of bicycle mechanic and stuff. And we were we were that's kind of like where things were headed for me was starting to start to take apart you know the because and they did not have very many closed cartridge type systems like. Uh, closed off to the environment like Marzoki was doing that for a long time with mountain bikes and it was never going really well um, mm-hmm. but uh, it, so it's really interesting like you could take these little pistons out and they've got big small big holes small holes for the oil to be able to go through there you know on on rebound and then compression's totally different so it's really interesting stuff uh, it's, it kind of sucks that we're having a little bit of trouble getting them on because I know that he would do a much better job talking about it than I would um, I, I've tried to do a little bit of suspension testing with, uh, oh, there it is. Look at that guy. He's got his even shirt on and everything. Much more professional than I look. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. So, Adam, can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Well, just to give you the, the warning we love to give everybody, we are live. Everything's going forward. And we want to talk to you about your new transition valve. And, of course, um, that is just kind of what, what brought me to, to your attention. Like you kind of came to my attention, if you will. Um, and I thought reading in the new dirt bike magazine, what they were talking about with this new transition valve sounds, I think revolutionary in the sense that this is something that a regular rider like myself has never had the ability to be able to do this, this kind of mid valve, you know, uh, dampening adjustment. 
um, so easily. Um, and so just give us, I guess, your is least technical, maybe, maybe your like layman's terms, kind of what's going on there, how you came up with this, and how it can benefit the riders out there. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I got some props here so I can try to attempt to uh, show you how it works. All right. See that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is a fork cartridge. All the damping in your uh, WP closed cartridge fork happens inside here. Uh, this part on the top here, this is called the base valve. And this is one of two compression valves in the fork. Okay. Uh, the other part is on this piece right here. So as your fork compresses, this guy basically slides up and down inside the cartridge. So uh, right at the tip here, you can probably see that is the other compression valve and uh, also the rebound damping. Right. So what you get basically is two compression valves that work together to provide the total compression damping at the same time. And, uh, and what just the adjustment for, the, for everybody out there, allows like you to turn compressions kind of is your is your initial part of the stroke where rebound is obviously when you're kind of coming back from the fork being compressed right yeah the compression damping is the fork going from full extension to full compression so okay. landing a jump or hitting an obstacle or anything that uh, causes the fork to compress uh, the rebound damping is the opposite direction the fork springing back to full extension Okay, perfect. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that, that we had, you know, your definition of that to make sure that people like myself who would try to give it some really crappy definition uh, wouldn't try to do that. No problem. So here's what the adjustment does. On one of the compression valves, uh, this one here is the mid valve, you can see that there is some amount of lift on the shims there. It's sort of spring-loaded so that the shims can move away from the piston face a certain distance. Oh, yeah. I can see it right under, I guess, like kind of a yellow-colored right under that piston. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that distance there, it's called uh, lift or mid-valve float. And all bikes have some degree of float. So uh, if you have a lot of float, then the mid-valve damping is very light and very little float. It gets stiffer and stiffer. This adjustment allows you to change that float uh, externally from the bottom of the fork. So you can essentially turn the mid-valve all the way on or all the way off or anywhere in between. So you have two compression valves, and now you get to choose how much of the second valve you actually want to use. Uh, so you can have one bike that will cover all kinds of different terrain. You can go from uh, off-road technical trail ride um, all the way to a motocross track and have a suspension setting that will work well for both. Right. Okay. And now I, I, I think I forgot to mention too, right now this is only available on KTM and the, the Supercross and the XC or the SX and the XC models, the WP closed cartridge forks essentially, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. I hope to be able to uh, provide this for other forks in the future, but yeah. that's that's the current application. Yeah, no, no, I, and I think I think it's going to be there. And I, I want to know: um, one, have you licensed it? And two, if not, can we do it together? Because I really, it's going to be interesting. I want to because, it, and how can like. I think this is going to be fantastic for someone like myself who can go out to different places. You know, it's like I got—I like to go to motocross track with friends. I'm definitely not a motocross racer, more of an off-road guy, and I can kind of 
you know, opposed to just cranking down my compression, I can actually get some real dampening um, for for these different uh, applications that I would be going out and riding on. But what's the possibility? I know that some people out there, when they just ha- they have compression and rebound dampening, they might get a little bit confused just in that realm. So it, is this gonna is this something that they could mess with? on top of that and maybe not confuse themselves too much? Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I think to a certain degree, this kind of adjustment is going to require some education of the end user. Uh, The product will come with a settings chart to give you a baseline setting for your intended use. Uh, So, for example, off-road might have a transition valve setting of 1.5, compression at 20, rebound at 17. Um, so you'd be able to at least have a starting point to get you get you going, but um, generally all the riders that I've uh, set up with this product find that they can sort of find their happy spot pretty quickly just right. by playing with the adjustment. And yeah, you get a feel for it pretty pretty quickly. That's awesome. Well, um, so and it's a is it about a thousand dollars? Now this that's just a number I remember reading from the dirt bike from dirt bike. Um, is it about it's about a thousand dollars for someone to be able to send you their forks and, and kind of and get this service done where they can have this adjustable uh, transition valve put in? Yeah, that's right. It'll be about a thousand dollars. The product is currently in manufacturing, so we're about five weeks out from being able to install this uh, in mass. Um, so far, we have several prototype units, but um, I want to be able to install the the final manufactured product on customers forks before we really start selling it oh yeah uh so we're we're a few weeks out yet um but the objective price is a thousand okay and i uh now is how does that compare to uh i guess a lot of other services that are out there say like a like a pro circuit or like uh what zach was talking about like wer up in the northeast you know uh comparatively price wise uh how are how are you competing um you know with those other services that they offer well, I think you might be surprised when okay. you call a company like Pro Circuit. They'll give you an estimate, and frequently the final bill is significantly different than the estimate. Uh, a lot of times they'll tack on extra charges like fluid, or you know they may change a lot of wear parts that uh, the customer isn't aware of up front. So I try to just include all that stuff with my my final price to make it simpler and more straightforward. But uh, According to uh, Ron Lawson from Dirtbike, who originally tested the product, um, a Pro Circuit for free valve is a thousand dollars anyway. So, okay, um, yeah, I mean, for for the money, it seems to me you're getting quite a bit more. Yeah, no, I think so. I think you're absolutely correct because if for whatever reason this dampening was wrong for say like a double A rider that's in a certain type of terrain riding around, he's not going to be able to make these adjustments that you would be able to make with this valve. Um, to his forks he would have to send his forks back or at least take the cartridges out and have them to someone who knows how to then take out the piston which you're now figured out how to have an actual you know on the fly adjustment for so it it makes sense for me and i think once you get it to a lot of other forks that this almost seems like something that's going to wind up you know in five six years just just being there like on every just come in stock i mean is that something that you think could happen or do you think that i'm kind of just crazy. I don't know about that, Brian. You know, the problem is uh, the manufacturers are so concerned with cost. It seems like their primary objective is just to make a product that works, that's as cheap as possible for them. Uh, example in point is the air fork. 
So does the Air Fork offer a performance advantage or is it just cheaper to make? Um, you know, I, I think you could probably argue both ways, but my suspicion is that it's primarily a cost-saving choice for the manufacturers. Okay. Huh. Well, we, um, we've, we've seen a lot of pictures. In that aspect, we've seen a lot of pictures of, say, like the KTM rear air shock, you know, doing a ton, a ton of testing there. I mean, do you feel that that's kind of the same thing, too? Because, I, I mean, in mountain bikes, you know, I mean, I've been racing and riding mountain bikes for a long time, and it just it took a while, but it's... It, you know, you could say the same thing with the uh, V brakes to disc brakes. People were like, "Ah, what's the real advantage?" And in the long run, the performance was better. And then, it, then they figured out ways to make it cheaper. And it, it, will it not kind of be the same thing with say like air forks and then being able to put in things like this? Or do you really feel that uh, that I mean that's okay? I I, I want to know what you think. Yeah, it's a good question, and the answer is I I don't know. I wish I did. Uh, you know, obviously the the air spring has some major advantages. It's much lighter. Um, that's probably the biggest thing, single advantage, you know, and if you're talking about cutting uh, five or ten pounds off the weight of the bike just by switching to an air spring, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, you know, it has some accompanying disadvantages. Like um, where we ride uh, here in Colorado, it's usually cold in the morning and then hot in the afternoon. And we also have pretty serious altitude changes during the ride. Mm. So if you're uh, if the air in the fork is changing – volume significantly the pressure may change two to three spring rates during a ride uh that's a major problem right absolutely no you're yeah you're absolutely right and that's the thing they've definitely figured it out a way on mountain bikes and i know that a lot of people that are working on that have worked on that kind of technology have been you know kind of putting some of their knowledge into a lot of the air technology when it comes to the motorcycle side of things side of things but there i think are a lot more uh, variables exactly what you're talking about you know in, in most mountain bike scenarios you're not going to be you know changing the the kind of the heat and the the, the way that the, the spring rate's going to ramp up and it's going to overheat and stuff like that so it could be it could be interesting I, i'm looking forward to it and i think your product does have a place um but i as zach and i were mentioned earlier we're definitely not in you know in the industry so we just kind of We'll see how it goes, and we'll make our speculations. But you also offer a lot more than just uh, this new transition valve. I, I, I'm seeing the dynamic float MIV valve. Is that actually something different from this transition valve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this The transition valve is just kind of the latest in a series of products that, uh, that I use to modify WP suspension. Um, so... Here's a dynamic float mid valve. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, so what, what this is, and a, a similar product here, this is a, a twin port mid valve piston. These are both designed to allow you to run low float values on the fork so that you can have something that is stable, uh, has a firm feel, but still can be really compliant on big, sharp, square edge hits. Uh, the, the general complaint that I hear from riders is, well, I have to either choose from a stiff, uh, uncomfortable motocross fork that will corner well and break well, or I get this really wallowy, marshmallowy feeling trail fork that is comfortable but doesn't have those uh, aggressive performance characteristics that I like. And uh, a lot of my work is just trying to um, strike the best possible balance between those two characteristics. Something that has a firm feel yet is really plush. At off-road terrain. Huh. 
Well, I think that's pretty cool. I definitely, you know, I'm definitely more of an off-road guy myself. Um, I, being stuck in Texas, I don't exactly get the most rocky stuff anymore. It kind of pisses me off. But uh, I do make it to Colorado every now and again. Uh, and riding out there, yeah, dude, you gotta you gotta be able to, to get your suspension into a place where you're feeling comfortable. Because uh, there's some there's some cliffs out there that I don't even want to have to look what I'm riding on. I just want to make sure I'm not falling off of that cliff, uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's um, a great place to train uh, and test suspension. Yeah. Did you have something to say, Zach? Yeah, I mean, while we're while we're talking about new, uh, you know, suspension technology, when I was reading that 2014 gas gas thing today, um, I was reading that in their shock this year they put a thermostat in the rear shock that adjusts the volume of the oil based on how hot and cold it gets, and it automatically adjusts, um, you know, how. I guess how it flows through the piston at those different temperatures. So I didn't know if he had heard anything about it. No, that's news to me. It sounds really interesting though. Uh, I mean, that sounds like exactly the kind of solution that we need for the, the new air fork, you know, that, that would probably work really well. Huh. And it, it uh, how, how much does, uh, how much does cavitation come into play when we're talking about these closed cartridge forks? Uh, cavitation is air bubbles that you know come in because of the the, uh, the quick compression and the quick rebound. Um, they kind of get sucked in, even though these are closed cartridge areas. They can still suck in uh, air bubbles, and that's what causes the cavitation. So, how how much does that affect um, us being able to have these really good dampening capabilities in a off road or motorcycle fork? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think um, there's maybe some misconceptions about the um, the importance of cavitation in a fork. Uh, in a shock, it's it's very critical. In the in a closed cartridge fork, the whole purpose of the fork is to pressurize the fork cartridge to reduce cavitation. Um, and, and cavitation essentially is pulling uh, tiny air bubbles out of the suspension fluid. So okay. you know the fluid looks like it's a solid, just liquid. It has dissolved air bubbles in the fluid. So when it's under uh, a high uh, pressure or vacuum, I should say, uh, those air bubbles are drawn out of the fluid. And uh, when you have fluid mixed with air, all of a sudden your damping loses its consistency, of course, because uh, the the fluid is much less dense. Yeah. So uh, these, you know, the, the newer generation of forks that have a pressurized cartridge are all designed to minimize cavitation. Huh. And um, I think maybe some... Uh, some approaches to tuning overemphasize the importance of cavitation in a fork um, because if you design a fork specifically to prevent cavitation, it can uh, never cavitate but just be extremely harsh on the trail. And what the what the rider experiences in testing, in, in my opinion, is more important ultimately than what we see on the dyno. Uh, so I tend to do most of my tuning strictly with uh, uh, tr trail testing and, and um, you know, actually taking several sets of forks out at once, uh, ride them over and over again, and uh, just get a feel for which one performs best. Yeah. Have you done any kind of uh, – I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. I've seen this and done this with a – well, I haven't done this. I've helped some guys do this with mountain bike suspension where we essentially log – 
what the fork does or what the suspension is doing so that then they can take that data and go back to a dyno and actually recreate that exact ride so that they in your sense they're they're using a dyno to have a trail ride um Mm -hmm. you know or trail runs or race runs or things like that has that been any kind of technology like that uh in in moto suspension testing a little bit, yeah. There, uh, there's a product actually called Shock Clock that's made by Race Tech that does exactly that. It's okay. a acquisition technology. Acquisition technology. Acquisition. I knew I'd screw that word up. That's why I didn't even try to say it. Yeah, it's it's just a you know linear accelerator accelerometer that you attach to the fork and the shock. It measures how they move, and uh, then you can plug that into your computer when you get home and and see exactly what the fork and shock were doing. Wow, that's uh, here again. I mean, I I think maybe we run into the problem is is the data useful? Is it helping us get to a better performing product, or is it just confounding the process? Uh, that's true. That's, so yeah. I I don't know. You know, I think maybe top level MotoGP teams are util- utilizing that kind of technology to uh, its ultimate end, but at the level of motocross, where we're talking about huge variations in terrain, uh, I don't know if it's ever going to be that useful. Okay. Well, no, yeah, that's a very valid, valid point in the sense that you could make five laps on a motocross track or a trail. You know, when X amount of riders go through there, X amount of time, every lap could be different. Um, and so, or every lap could feel different um, because everything's moving around and just going around underneath this. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I loved reading about your product. I think it's awesome. Um, I know being down here in Texas and recovering from a shoulder surgery, I'm not, I'm not making it to Colorado anytime soon. Um, but as soon as I can get to Boulder, I want to come up there. I want to check out what's going on in person, and uh, possibly I will have some forks with me. And I think it'd be a really cool uh, experience to be able to, to, of course, pay you and uh, have you put this in and, and really kind of see what we can make it make happen out there. But where can people find you um, if people are interested in knowing more about this, being in contact with you? Uh, where can people grab you at? Well, the website is creftmoto.com. It's K-R-E-F-T-M-O-T-O.com. Or uh, you can always call me, 970-403-2715. And I love to talk about suspension. Love it. Whatever you do, folks, don't text them after 10 p.m. And if you do, you better be drunk. That's the only (laughs) way it's acceptable is if it's the funniest shit ever. So I'm just saying. That's probably what's going to happen after 10 p.m. tonight. (laughs) My time. Sorry just the way it works well cool we really appreciate your time uh steven's gonna go ahead and drop you off the call and then we're gonna bring in jacob argerbright to talk about some other stuff um but i will be in touch because i do want to come to colorado and check this out is that cool i'll show you some trails love oh <laughs> now we're talking dirty i love it thanks dude take it easy <laughs> right, adam take care, Brian. later Awesome. Well, uh, Zach, I think we've learned some interesting stuff this evening about suspension. Uh, I love learning about the new products like that. It's stuff that, you know, that I can try to find a way to take advantage of, that our listeners can try to take advantage of. People that are way smarter than us can try to take advantage of and have fun out there. Um, it's interesting what you were talking about with the temperature gauge in the forks on the gas gas. That's yeah. that's interesting. Um, I would love to know more about that as well. It's definitely something I want to research to try to figure out more about. Um, yeah, it's it's in their shock actually, and okay, I, the rear shock. Okay, I believe it's called Riger. R the they they put a it's R E I G E R. It's an aftermarket company that um, that are that I guess is building all the shocks for this year, and um, 
uh, they called it a thermostatic, like dynamic, uh, shock, shock absorber type thing. I don't remember the name of it. Oh, thermostatic device, um, in the internal of the shock, which, you know, a lot of people compl- complain at the end of a race section that the shock or the suspension is starting to diminish in how it in how it feels. Right. And you know, maybe that's one thing that can help gas gas in the future. Yeah, um, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, It's interesting. I know, so then they were putting air forks or air shocks on the back end of mountain bikes. What they were playing around with was they, like say rock shocks in their Avid, uh, their rear Avid shock, they went and put um, a, a needle that actually expands and contracts with the heat uh, with the temperature of the oil. So as the, the shock is just, you know, getting hammered, um, it, it will actually, the needle will expand so that when it's going up and down, it doesn't actually lose the dampening capabilities because of the overheated oil. So it, it's weird little stuff like that that people can do that just makes, you know, dirt bike racing and smarter people than myself just love this sport, and I'm glad that people are doing it. So that's cool, though. I'm going to have to check it out, Zach. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, so uh, we're trying to get Jacob Argabright on as things are going the way they go as uh, Steven's still playing around with all that making sure the video is going the way it should I want to make sure that I say thank you very much to Powersport Graphics for their support of seat time Um, for those of you who don't know Powersport Graphics over there in North Carolina big supporter of off-road racing and big supporter of a good time for all Uh, and you can find them at ridepg.com um, if you could save 10% off of any order that you want to make, either call them off their website. Uh, it's the discount code is seat time. And then, of course, you can save 40% off of their ready-to-ship option. And if you order before, what is it, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can get same-day shipping. So all kinds of awesome ways to get awesome graphics and uh, all kinds of fun stuff from the guys over at Powersport Graphics. So please go check them out at ridepg.com. And it looks like we've got Mr. Argabright on. His uh, 911, and then it looks like Meg's bike is back there too. Is that is that right, Jacob? I don't know, but it's really funny because oh yes, just, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Are we coming through very slowly? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, that's okay. I blame Meg. I blame I we blame Meg. Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got another person stealing Starbucks Wi-Fi <laughs> for seat time. This is absolutely amazing. <laughs> it, it's good, though, because it comes through just fine. So, okay, you're obviously on the road. Are you guys still coming back from Reno, or are you guys uh, – is that a... – <laughs> So you are coming back from no, Reno. No, we're like a mile away from the house, chilling at Starbucks. Really? So you don't have Wi-Fi at your house? Oh, uh, we do. It's just oh, that's that's bright. Um, yeah, it's just the Wi-Fi is not good enough at the house. Okay, well, cool. I, I would say go to Starbucks as well because I mean everybody else does it for seat time, so why not y'all? We actually had uh, Bolton get kicked out of a Starbucks two weeks ago. So like physically, they just said get out. It was awesome, and then he just did it from his car, just like you guys are. So uh, it, it's all gonna go over swimmingly just as we always like to say at wheel on seat time so congratulations on your very first national hare and hound win we want to know about the win and about your weekend in reno just give us the lowdown my man i don't think their starbucks wi-fi is as good as the starbucks wi-fi that (laughs) holds on and eric kudla used 
<laughs> so yeah, I know. So what we're gonna do is, even if we just get audio, it's gonna be okay, and we're gonna have Meg's picture up there the whole time while we do it. Uh, we're gonna be able to. We want to talk to Jacob. Uh, he just got his first National Hare and Hound win. Kurt Caselli got second. Ivan Ramirez in third. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and I, definitely one of the things I want to know is, is, is I want to know the breakdown on how everything went. You know, it's like the the, the starts are always crazy in Hare and Hound. It looked like Eric uh, Kudla for this event uh, just laid out a ridiculous start. It looked like Carl's Diner from freaking uh, Erzberg. So I just that's some of the stuff I want to talk about. And then Eric got to meet and talk with freaking uh, Diana Dahlgren. So that's always nice. <laughs> you know, I mean, who doesn't want to meet and talk with her? I was trying. I think it'd be great if we could have her on the show. Talk talk about how large her rear is. Not you, Megan, but we're talking about Diana Dahlgren. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, Jacob, we want to know about your win and the race and how awesome it was to be able to get your first Terran Hound win. Wait, wait, hold on, I just put the headphones. Put on, on the headphones. Professionals, yeah. we do this every week. We are so awesome. Oh, there we go. Can you guys see me? Nope, but we can hear you just fine. We can see a really big picture of Meg, though. And that's okay, but we can hear you just fine. Yeah. Okay. So, while the video is coming through, you go ahead and uh, you go ahead and tell us about your awesome win. All right. Well, hold on. Makes it to hold on. Okay. Move your finger. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's it. So now I'm on, I'm on Meg's phone. Sweet. All right. So move around in my my van here. All right. So we got up there Wednesday. Did some riding. Did some hanging out. Um. Uh, Friday we went and went down to Reno. We set the bikes out, did some autographs and stuff and hung out. That was cool. And then on Saturday, um, woke up, did the bomb practice. The bomb was the same as last year, it was, which was pretty gnarly. We went up a really big hill. We went up, made a U-turn, came back down. And um, I uh, decided to start all the way to the right. And, yeah, so we got ready to line up. I was next to Ivan Ramirez. Yeah. And, what? Oh, uh, no, I was just saying, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the bomb run, because even hearing you talk about it scares me. Um, oh, yeah, dude. It was, it's the scariest one of the year by far, and it's also the slowest. <laughs> really? Is it because of all the rocks? Yeah, it's like a second loop national hill right off the start. It's super slow and technical. Huh. All right. Well, tell me. You said you were lining up next to Ivan Ramirez. Was that a choice, or did he did he line up next to you because he knows how cute you are? Um. No, it was a choice. Um. I just all the way to the right, and he just ended up next to me. And I don't know. Uh, Banner went up, got a first kick start. It was good. Um. Passed him like I don't know, hundred feet in, and then um just was getting squirrely up the hill, trying to keep it straight, and. I got. I was first to the to the banner. I heard. I heard someone behind me. Uh, I was wasn't sure who it was, but it ended up being Kurt, who passed me going back down the hill. Ugh. Yeah. So that guy's pesky. Huh? You can't trust that guy at all, can you? No, you can't trust them all. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> so we got going. I'm following him. We um went on this really rocky side hill that it's just gnarly it's like it's just rocks 
and it's just so sideways, it's, it's bad. Like, I mean, I was following Kurt, and we were doing like 30 miles an hour or something, but we're just going so intense, and it was, it, it was crazy. But um, we got to the scoring shoot. We went back on the other side of the hill. That was pretty gnarly, and I don't know. I was just following him, trying to check out his body position and see, you know, like what pace he was riding at, and I felt good enough to go for a pass, and I did. Nice. Yeah, so got around him, um, just, I don't know, when I got around him, I wasn't sure whether my pace would be good enough, you know, I didn't want to get past, but I wanted to, you know, save my energy, because it, it was supposed to be a hard race, um, so, I don't know, I just went with my instincts, and, you know, I just kept trucking along at the speed I was going, and, I don't know, the first lap was good, didn't have any problems. The hills are kind of tough. The two hills like that everyone's talking about weren't bad. Right. Um, yeah, so I got around those. And then at the pits, I guess I was like maybe 20 seconds ahead of Kurt. And um, got going in the second loop. There's, so this place, it's so rocky that there's absolutely no trails. I mean, none. Like, no one rides out there. It's desolate. Hmm. So got going in the second lap. There's a couple lappers. Um, some more trails, which is good kind of picked up the speed a little bit and then uh the the two big hills that everyone's talking about uh that was, it was horrible i got there and just people were scattered all over there meg was coming up to the hill um so you lapped your girlfriend <laughs> yeah i lapped her twice nice that's a that that's a good weekend right there it, it was and i gave her a thumbs up <laughs> you're like hey you're doing great keep it up peace i'm out yeah pretty much <laughs> love it i mean yeah no disrespect to meg i know she's awesome and she tries very hard she did really well this past weekend too so keep telling us about your race and we can talk to her about hers all right yeah no she did really good she actually uh won her class um but yeah so back to the hill um <laughs> what oh meg make making noises at me um, what? Oh, uh, I was going to say, I'm, I'm impressed that you guys are doing whatever you're doing in the van right now, live on seat time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, second time on the hill, there was, uh, people everywhere. I mean, just scattered, like, it was hot up there. I mean, the, the hill was, like, destroyed. There was silt under all these rocks, and it was just, it was gnarly trying to get up. And, um, yeah, I ended up dog paddling up the whole thing, and it, it just, it was so tiring. Um, oh. I mean, after what? Oh, I'm just like I'm commenting on the fact. I'm like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, so I got to the top of the hill. Did I was I was wiped on the second lap. Um, we ended up going down what's called Skull Canyon, and through the and I was just a mess. I was hitting everything, just all over the place. And that's uh, I'm gonna throw someone's name out there. So last year. Someone, a friend of mine named Don Eisenhower, who did the race, ended up having to go to the bathroom. He uh, went to the bathroom and may have used his underwear to wipe and left them there. Sexy. Yeah, and they were still there. So I ended up passing those, which was cool. Wait, um, they were there a whole year later? Yes, they were there. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Don't you think an animal would like walk off with them? I mean, I mean, maybe not. I, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of wild mustangs up there. I'm surprised they didn't sniff sniff them. But I guess they're pretty uh, gross. Mm-hmm. Those are non-sniffable so. underwear. 
Those are what? Non-sniffable underwear. They have been tainted with no love. Yeah, exactly. So, where was I? Oh, Skull Canyon. So, Skull Canyon, I sucked. Kept going through. Um, then I uh, I went. I got out, got close to the pits. My dad was holding up a sign that had, said I had a good lead, which uh, kind of amped me up. Went to the pits for the last lap. Um, I took my time at the pits. Really got a good uh, swig of water. And um, on that last lap, since I was so tired from the second lap, I just cruised. Like, I was literally just trying to save energy for the hell because I knew it, was, it would get even more torn up and it was going to be tough. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, it was good. Uh, just got to the hill. There was even more bikes. Like, everyone just had the look on the face. They were, like, done. Just people were scattered. Meg past Meg again on the hill. She had moved maybe like a mile. So unfortunately she had not made a whole nother lap. She was still on the same hill the third or I guess on your third lap the second time you passed her? Yeah, I was on my third lap and she had moved to that like halfway up the hill where it was just super gnarly. I mean, I'm proud of her for making it up that that far. I mean, it was it was seriously tough. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, so I got going, I was dog paddling, I, uh, I ended up stalling, stalling the bike halfway up, I'm like, man, I'm really, really tired, and I, uh, looked back, look at the bottom, and I, uh, saw Kurt there, and I was like, oh, shit, I gotta, I gotta get going, I, I didn't want to pass me on the hill, because I was like, man, that, that would suck, on the last lap. So he didn't, he didn't pass you, how did you do it, did you just, you dog paddled you all the way up and just put the hammer down? Yeah, I, I, I got off my bike and started pushing just to get going. It was like, I was so done. I was ready to just, just stop and like, just call it quits. But I, I used everything I had and I um, got the bike going and I dog piled all the way up. And once I got to the top, like, it's just, I was done. I was like gasping for air. I had to take, take a big swig of water. It was bad. And then, um, yeah, I got to Skull Canyon again. I sucked, but I, uh, took a look behind me and I didn't see anyone there and that was like my second win and um all the way to I had like a couple more miles to go I um charged what or used what energy I had to get to the finish and um I won bam well dude yeah. again congratulations because that is that is one hell of an accomplishment um you Thank know you. I, I think a, a lot of people were just like oh Kurt's going for it blah 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 and I think that it shows that it's like, you know what? There are other people out there that are kicking ass, that are working really hard, and that, that can race a motorcycle just as fast, if not faster. That's what it takes to come Thanks. in first. So, good job. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank so, okay, we talked with Eric two weeks ago when he was on with Bolton and uh, Brian Elliott about kind of building up for this race. So now that it's happened, uh, you know, we had all the monster girls out there, all the other crazy stuff that was going on with this big uh, Reno event. Uh, overall, did how what did you feel? Did you think that the the track was awesome? That the three normal laps or the the laps were different from a typical hare and hound? In my understanding, because typically you guys have three different laps, but this was three of the same laps. So tell us about just kind of like the whole racing weekend experience and your thoughts on it. I liked it. I I was. I think one of the only people last year that went to the race, because it wasn't a national last year, right? out of the National Hare and Hound group that went. So I knew, like, 
after the race last year, I was like, I never want to go there again. And then, like, a couple weeks before this year, I was like, man, I'm stoked to go. So I think I had a good attitude about it because I knew what was ahead versus everyone else. I was just like, they, they were just in for a huge shock. Um, I, I'm not sure if I like the format. I, I guess I do. I usually don't like shorter laps, I guess. But for the area, I think it was better because once, I got to the first lap, I knew what was ahead, which was nice. Like, I like I could plan to conserve energy here and there, which I think helped in that, ex, like, extreme type of event. Um, and as far as the course goes, I like I like the course. I like the rock. The rockier, the better. Um, I think for the pros, the hills were fine, but, like, next year he probably, I bet you he, he won't put those hills in. Because, like, the riding's fun. It's just the hills is what just demolished everyone if he didn't have the hills i'd say it's the perfect race of the year nice so that's pretty good i mean considering uh that it is kind of a different format much more rocky and things like that now i want to ask now that you've kind of mentioned that you enjoy a little bit longer laps and a little bit a little bit longer a little bit longer laps so you're not kind of riding the same thing over and over again now J-Day guys, let's say, you know, they're kind of putting out these, like, mile, mile and a half long laps, riding for 30 minutes, much more spectator-friendly. What Did it seem like there were more spectators out watching um, because of the fact that you guys were on a little bit shorter loop and more accessible? Yeah, de- oh, yeah, definitely. And there was a truck race going on at the same time, so there was a lot of truck people out there. I mean, and and you know what, like this is probably the most spectator-friendly event of the year because you started, you could see probably the first three or four miles of the whole race, which was really good for the spectators. Huh. Well, that is really good for the spectators, especially when you're not having to jump on a four-wheeler, you know, and race for 15 minutes to get to a spot so that you can see somebody and then race five, ten minutes in a different direction and then you get to see him go by. Like, you know, so I, I, I think that that's awesome. Um, you know, it yeah, is exactly. A, it's, definitely a different type of racing out there in the desert it sounds like for your traditional hare and hound but i think it sounds like this is probably a good way to change it up give everybody a little bit of a different atmosphere so it's not the same desert race all the time i mean is that a good kind of assumption yeah no it's a good assumption you know i mean the hare and hound group is is really um trying to differentiate from the series and just um you know get more riders and try different things i mean they're open to you know anything if they can do it so they're just, you know, trying to make everyone happy. Awesome. Well, you guys are going to be, I guess you guys are like super stupid happy because you're just, you just, both of you guys have done so well. I don't even want to know. Did you? Did either of you guys go, we're going to Disneyland? Uh, we, we were like, we're going to Gardnerville to get L&L Hawaiian. <laughs> nice. That's okay. That's fine. That's fine, too. Well, um, you guys have been traveling a lot. It seems like so. You guys have been going to ton of races and, and, and heading out there. What are some of the other events that you guys have been going to, and what have you thought about those? Uh, what did we do? We did the Juab Extreme Enduro, which is like Salt Lake. We did the Harriman Ex- Extreme Enduro, which is also pretty much by Salt Lake. What else did we do, Mike? Sacramento. Uh, Sacramento Enduro Cross. We're going to Colorado next week or this week. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know the Harriman take you pretty far, I guess. Yeah, it sounds. Have you got? Has the Heron Hound gone to to Idaho this year already? Yeah, they have. Okay, did you? You guys made it up there, didn't you? Oh yeah, man. Is, how's that compared to some of the other Heron Hounds? Idaho specifically? 
Yeah. That's cool. Um, everyone's really pumped up there. They're a great group of people, so they're really into the race, which is nice. Um, I don't know, the course, a lot of single track, a lot of, I don't know, cows. I mean, the riding's cool. I, I like riding there versus racing, because racing, like, I don't like racing in single track as much because it's hard to pass, and, you know, you get stuck behind someone and get dust, and it just kind of ruins your race. But, um, no, I think the riding is great there. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm definitely a single track uh, rider, but just because of all the enduro background and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of agree, though, that there's there's times where, uh, you know, doing some of the cross-country races and they're a little bit wider. Um, I do kind of enjoy racing in those aspects. But I think what I like about enduros is that just kind of being fast enough to kind of hoot and holler, people will people understand to get out of the way because they know that we're not yeah. racing each other. Where when you're in a cross-country uh, or kind of it sounds like in the Heron Hound where it's on a single track, you're kind of racing everybody, and they don't know if they're getting lapped or anything, and if you're hooting and hollering just to kind of like scare them off their line or whatever. So, yeah, I can see yeah. that being a lot harder to pass. But, yeah, dude, I think you're right. Let's go ride some single track. So you're going to Colorado. Are you going up there for – or is that for a race, or is that just it's a good time? Yeah, for, for the next round of Weeby. Oh, the Weeby racing. Man, that's kind of cool. Um, who is it that puts that on? The, the, the Schaefer's – who is that? I, well, I know Schaefer's help out with it okay. a lot. Um, I'm not sure, like, who the title, you know, who the real, the real, the real top people are. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, where at in Colorado is that race going to be? Uh, Powderhorn. Ooh, I don't know where that is, but it sounds fun. I don't know. It's like a ski resort. It's almost like uh, Big Sky. Ah, uh, so now that we've mentioned Big Sky, are you guys going to be there? No, I will be at the next. Heron Hound, which is that same weekend in Panaca, Nevada. Oh my gosh, so you're not going to be there? No, I am not. We're not going to be able to hang out, Jacob. I know. Well, I was kind of hoping you were going to go to Colorado this weekend for the Weeby Race because you said you like to go to Colorado. Oh, I love to go to Colorado. I'm uh, I'm unfortunately not riding yet just because of the shoulder surgery, and so there's like no reason for me to go to Colorado unless I'm, I don't know, doing, I guess watching and that sounds yeah, fun yeah but i'd much rather be riding <laughs> yeah so and i'm slow now nobody nobody wants to see me ride nobody it's it's pathetic um but uh what about meg is meg gonna be making it up there to big sky i don't know i think she's debating i think she's at well she is she's in the contention for the uh women uh is it pro or ab it's uh women's ab championship in the heron hound so we're kind of debating. Ah, uh, yeah, think, that's tough. Yeah, so I don't know. You'll find out. I guess we will. I guess we will. Um, just because you have a lot of uh, knowledge with a lot of the works racers, more so because you're on the West Coast and you've obviously done a couple of the works races, it looked like Bobby Garrison came in with the win this past weekend at Pala Raceway, and Robbie Bell in second and Justin Jones in third. Have you kind of? Do you have any kind of you know uh, back and forth with those guys or any kind of have heard about how the racing went down or anything? Not really. I mean, I know Robbie's been really, really fast at him. Um, and we looked at the lap times to see if, like, Robbie had any problems or anything. But it looks like Bobby just rode a really great race, which is good for him because I know he's been having back problems. Right. So, hats off to him. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of back problems, Skylar Howes totally getting, like, broke his back getting back on the bike and racing at that Reno race. That's got to be, like, one of the worst races to come back to with all those dang rocks, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Like, I mean, 
yeah, it's bad, but I'm sure it's probably a good race. Cause he'll, he'll, um, he had to slow down to race over here, so it's not like he was going like super high speed, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, Jacob, dude, uh, we don't want to keep you guys too far from your home over at Starbucks. You never know when you're going to get kicked out and all that other kinds of stuff. What do you mean? What, what do you mean? This is my home. This is my home. Oh, you live in that van? No, this is our home away from home. Ah, I hear you. I hear you. That's okay. I'm actually in my home right now, and uh, I want to. I want to leave it anyway. So I'm ready to. Just right. go, I'm ready to just go sleep outside. You know. So I'll come stay with you yeah. guys. That's it. You're more than welcome to. We'll switch it up. I know. I was talking to Meg a little bit about at one point trying to make it out to the West Coast because my wife wants to go hang out with her sister who lives just outside of L.A. Maybe just outside of Hollywood, somewhere in L.A. I, it's damn city's too big for me to understand it for being from Texas. But uh, yeah, if that happens, we're gonna have to figure out a way to all convene and uh, and uh, you know have a weekend of, of good times and, and fun. Yeah, definitely. I love it. Well, uh, dude, let people know where they can find out more about you, so they can follow you on Twitter, maybe Facebook, and all that stuff, uh, so they can they can you know get social with you. All right. Well, you guys can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter as much. Um, Instagram, Facebook are the main ones. Um, everything is just. You know, Facebook.com forward slash ArguBright911. Same with Instagram. Um, yeah, or just uh, text it up. Uh-oh. Are you, we're going to get more digits and people are going to get drunk text because of that. We just had uh, Adam Kreft on, or Adam Crefting from Kreft Suspension, and he gave out his number, and I said, well, you know that you're just going to get a bunch of texts from drunk people now. And he's like, that's okay. Yeah, right. So I was like. I guess if he's okay with it, then he's okay with it. Well, cool, man. Well, you guys take it easy. Always drive safe, especially on your way to Colorado this coming up weekend. We want to definitely see pictures. I know we'll see him on Verb Off-Road um, for sure yeah. and all the stories and all the shenanigans that you guys have. But, yeah, drive safe and just keep us updated, all right? All right. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah, for having me on here. Absolutely. Congratulations again on your first win, dude. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, dude. Y'all take it easy. All right. You too. Peace. All right, Zach. So... As we've stated before, this is seat time. We've had you on before. You're a fantastic guest to have on. I love the knowledge, and I like I like your enthusiasm because of the fact that you're just – I feel not that you're a little bit like me. It's just like it doesn't make a difference what you're learning. You just like to learn more about the sport um, and be involved, and uh, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, so where can people talk to you uh, socially and all that stuff online? Um, I mean, anybody can find me on Facebook. I don't remember like the exact forward backslash, you know, type username um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, or on Instagram and on um, Twitter. I can get you the Twitter one right now. The specifics. Yeah, the specifics. If you will. Uh, oh, it's at Zach Huberty three two three, which is my racing number. So that's where you can find me on Twitter, and then it's the same. On um, Instagram, it's Zach's Racing three two three. Who knows had, why I switched it up? Yeah, but I did. you had to change it up to Trace Dose Trace. Yeah, I need to. I'm gonna eventually change everything to one thing, so then it's easy. Trace Dose Trace. That sounds like a really good episode title to me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I came up with that myself. Yay, ladies and gentlemen. So again, what you've been watching is seat time. Um, we are available on Stitcher and iTunes. If you just want to listen in for the audio, you can find all of our shows archived there. Um, and if you want to watch, you can watch them on uh, the website or on YouTube. So YouTube, you just go and search for Seat Time or look for a pint full of awesome. The website is seattime.co. 
Um, everything is archived there. You can even find back some of the news and some of the, the results, uh, reviews, uh, a lot of the photo galleries from the ISDE last year, all the, all the fun stuff that we've been uh, going through. Um, and, of course, Facebook, facebook.com slash seat time to, uh, to be social with us there. And if you're on Twitter, it's uh, twitter.com slash seat time underscore CO. Instagram is just seat time. It's easy. Search for us there, seat time. Uh, lots of fun pictures. We just we like to talk to people. We like to be involved. Um, feel free. Reach out to us. We're going to have a good time. You can go to seattime.bigcartel.com, and you can support Seat Time as well. We have our fun little koozies for sale. Got a couple pint classes. Uh, that's it. very big help because it's, it, it costs money to run a website um, and to keep all this stuff up there for you guys, and it just makes it a little bit easier for us uh, so we're not spending our hard-earned uh, full-time job money on this because this is a hobby and it's fun and we want to make it better for you so find us out there thank you zach thank you adam thank you mr jacob everybody for being on seat time really appreciate it episode 92 is in the books and remember always enjoy a pint full of awesome bye zach bye